There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, everyone. You're all very welcome to our special The People Have Spoken episode of the Irish Times Women's Podcast here on the woodland stage of the beautiful Body and Soul Festival on the ground of Ballinlock Castle, County Westmeath. As you know, we're going to be talking about that momentous referendum landslide for yes we experienced last month, that joyous, historic day. So let me first introduce you to our panel today. They are for, together for yes, co-director Alva Smith. the founder of the Repeal Project, Anna Cosgrave. And from Migrants and Ethnicities for Reproductive Justice, we have Claudia Harrow and her beautiful baby. Also with us today, we're delighted to say, our Pow Pig, an up-and-coming alt-rock limerick band made up of four very talented young women, Anne-Marie Rooney, Andrea Mokanu, Laura Drennan and Leah O'Donnell. Their debut EP was Denture Adventure. Their new EP is called Buzz Buzz. And they're going to start us off with a song called Pretty Woman, not the Roy Orbison version. So take it away, Pop Pig. Haven't you heard Conscience is dead Oh, God above We walk such a lonely road They will allow us every sin They are weak and helpless 
Thank you very much, Pow Pig. They'll be back later on to sing another tune, and we're very much looking forward to that. Now, before we talk to these mighty women on stage beside me, we have another very special guest. It's a man. And this is the women's podcast. But look, there are three, four, five, five of us up here, and there were nine of us. So that's a pretty good ratio, isn't it? And it's not McGill's Summer School, obviously. Now, this man has earned his place here because he's going to talk to us about his part in the Yes Win and about what's next for the women of Ireland. Will you please give a big, warm women's podcast, body and soul, festival round of applause to the Taoiseach, Leah Varadkar. Very welcome, Tisha. Please take a seat at the special red chair, which I know is not your colour, but there you go. Welcome to the Women's Podcast and to the Woodland Stage at Body and Soul Festival, Taoiseach. We generally don't go around patting politicians on the back here, but we have to say a huge congratulations. Whoever thought Simon Harris could be a sex symbol, but This is is kind of embarrassing. A woman in a very sexy top is saying, I fancy Simon Harris. Anyway, we also patted him on the back in the women's podcast recently, I'm delighted to say. But we're going to say a huge congratulations to you, because you're beside us, and thank you on behalf of the Irish Times Women Podcast for your part in the Yes Landslide. Not at all, I was only a minor player and relatively late to the game, but delighted to have been part of it. Well, I think that's a very decent admission, actually, and probably deserves another round of applause. Um, does it feel odd to be congratulated, though, and to have people smiling at you so benignly? Um, it is a festival. The weather is good. <laughs> it's sunny. We've just won the rugby. I think if I wasn't, if I wasn't getting a favourable crowd after that, now I'd be in serious trouble. Oh, they don't know a thing about the rugby, I'd We won say. the rugby. Beat yeah. Australia. Yay! First <laughs> won the series for the first time in 40 years, so... Well, gosh, I didn't know that. Now, Taoiseach, there are many people who went on journeys, quote-unquote, during this campaign, and you've been, a big, you've been on a big one yourself uh, regarding this issue. Can you tell us about that feminist journey and how you got to a place where you felt ready to set the date for a referendum and back a yes vote? Yeah, like, I, 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 I always... I, I'm always a little bit uncomfortable listening to male politicians talking about their journey because, of course... The, the journey that nearly 200,000 women took to England to end their pregnancies was a much more difficult and much more traumatic journey than any journey any male politician ever, ever went on. So, um, but I think it's just a case of changing views over time, and lots of people in the country have. Um, a lot of it was about talking to people, about talking to my sisters, my, my mothers, who were up, my mother, who was a big repealer, and, um, uh, and friends, and also female political colleagues, like somebody who would have had a lot of influence over me over the years would be somebody like Francis Gerald and a little bit like school you get to know the person you sit beside really well and we sat beside each other in cabinet for uh, about two years and we sort of had these conversations and um, she'd often give me feminist books to read and things like that and I'd promise to read them and, uh, and last, did, you, did la- you actually read them? I did yeah I tend to read on the beach um, when I'm on holiday so the last one I read was um, you know Women in Power it's uh, Mary Beard and it's interesting stuff it's about women's voices and so on so I guess it's, guess people's attitudes can just change over time as they understand the personal experiences um, and then also to be honest from my own point of view um, be, being a gay man who was in the closet for a very long time when you're a closeted gay man and people 
you feel people are being judgmental, it's easier for you to be judgmental of others. And my liberation was coming out as a gay man, being accepted by all my friends and family, by the public, by my party, which is a broadly conservative party. Um, and when that happens, you see things differently. And it's not so black and white, and maybe not so moralistic. And maybe that was my journey rather than... Rather and than is it that you're growing a bit older and wiser? You know, does, does age play a factor in this? Uh, of course it does, yeah. yeah. Of course it does. Like, it's, when, you're, when you're younger, it's easy, it's easy to be... And this isn't a bad thing, it's a great thing about people who are students or in their early 20s being so sure about things, being so certain and so adamant. Um, but as you go on and you deal with the complexities of everything and the greyness of the real world, things do change a bit, you know? Because you really have come on quite a journey, haven't you? I mean, eight years ago you were asked if you felt it was a double standard to force thousands of women to travel to the UK and elsewhere for abortions. And you said, if you don't mind my quoting this again because it's a bit cringy. Uh, I don't think that's double standards. People travel overseas to do things overseas that aren't legal in Ireland all the time. You know, are we going to stop people going to Las Vegas? Are we going to stop people going to Amsterdam? There are things that are illegal in Ireland and we don't prevent people from travelling overseas to avail of them. Do you cringe a bit when you think of that um, now? No. Um, that, 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 was, that, was a, that was a serious point badly made. And my point was that just because something is lawful in another country doesn't mean it has to be lawful here. Uh, we are an independent country, we have sovereignty, we have our own constitution, and we should make our own laws. And just because something is illegal or illegal somewhere else, that, that shouldn't make it, that shouldn't force us to make a particular decision. So uh, my view was that it was always our decision to make, but we did make that decision, and we made it resoundingly in, in the referendum. Um, were you influenced at all, for example, by Justin Trudeau, who's, who's notably progressive in this among world leaders? Did, he, did you did he discuss this? Yeah, we, we did, because um, he visited Ireland shortly after became, I, I became Taoiseach, and I went, then he invited me back to Canada. Um, and um, we'd be in touch from time to time, and um, one thing he said to me, like when we first met, he raised the whole issue of, um, uh, of, of our abortion laws. He said they were out of date, said we needed to change them. Um, what we exchanged, which is interesting, the process in Canada was totally different. They're a bit like in America, where they Roe versus Wade, their courts legalized abortion. And I sort of explained to him that it wasn't as straightforward as that in Ireland. We'd have to have a referendum. If we were going to do it, we had to win it. Um, because if we were to have lost it, we would be talking about this in 30 years' time. You know, divorce was defeated in, in the 1990s. It was another 10 years before the question got put to the people again. And it was a much more restrictive question. Mm. So had the referendum been defeated, we probably would have come back to it in 10 or 15 years with a much, much narrower proposal. Um, so I kind of explained to him, we had to get this right. We had to do a process, which actually worked, the Citizens Assembly mm. and the All-Party Committee and all the rest of it in terms of building consensus. And he understood that. Um, but one thing he said to me, which I hadn't reflected on before I met him, was the whole idea of making sure that... Um, women are visible in politics and public life. And he said to me the one thing he never accepts is all-male panels, that he refuses to participate uh, in an all-male panel. And I said to myself, you know, does that really matter? You turn up at something, you don't really set the panel yourself. You know, how can you, how can you really control that? But it really occurred to me then, a couple of months later, I was at an event in Wexford, and it was a beautiful event. I was opening a new community centre and a new extension to the school. And I was conscious that everyone on the panel was the school principal, the parish priest, uh, two ministers. And the only female on the panel was um, 
was the person who was introducing us, the compare. Um, and then at the end of it all, after all the men spoke, I was brought down the back of the room uh, to meet the women who prepared the tea and the refreshments. And um, it was that moment for me that it was about much more than the optics or the politics of it, because I was thinking of the young women in the audience. And like, what message does it send to young women today? You know, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, looking up at the men on the stage while the women are preparing the refreshments. And this is, this is 21st century Ireland, so we've a long so way to you, go. You do know? you really love the look of our ratio today? Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel outnumbered, don't worry. Tisha, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think won it in the end? Um, oh, look, pe people won it in the end, but I think what really won it was, was the bravery of campaigners like Alva and, um, and Anna and others who... Um, um, and Claudia. Who, and Claudia as well, who, who, who fought for women's equality and LGBT equality before many of us were even willing to talk about these issues. Um, before I was born, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, but also, I think genuinely it was the personal stories. Now, if you look back at the 1983 referendum, um, that wasn't really a feature in it. Um, you didn't have women and their partners telling the stories that we heard, you know, particularly around uh, people who got the devastating diagnosis of a fatal fetal abnormality, you know, people who, real people who took those real decisions. And that, from what I read anyway, I don't remember the H3 referendum, but from what I read, that wasn't a feature at the time. No, and and it wasn't. takes enormous personal bravery for people to do that, and they did it. And all politicians are is facilitators of change. We don't really make it happen, mm. uh, but we are the ones who can facilitate it. And the country had come to that decision already. That's and a we really fair statement the there that no. politicians facilitate change, but it, that the change comes from the grassroots, which it's most, it most certainly has in this situation. Well, do you want to talk about that? About yeah, yeah, yeah the, reason, the reason why the bill isn't... Yeah, yeah I'm happy to answer that. No, it is his... It's the Taoiseach space right now, and I'm interviewing him. I'm interviewing the Taoiseach. Taoiseach, I think we're acknowledging here that the, that the, yeah, the movement yeah. did come very much from the grassroots sure. and, and from happy, people I'm like Alva. Happy to, happy to answer that question. Uh, we, we had a referendum, uh, but the constitution hasn't actually been changed yet. Uh, because the constitution isn't changed until President Higgins signs the referendum bill and certifies the referendum. Uh, and that is now being challenged in the courts. And unfortunately that's happened before. It happened for marriage equality, happened for divorce, happened for the children's referendum. And until the courts hear the challenge, the president can't sign the referendum bill. So the constitution actually hasn't yet been changed, notwithstanding the vote of the people. But once it is changed, we'll legislate and we'll have it done by the end of this year. You can be sure of that. And the legislation you hope to have done by the end of the year, also the exclusion zones around hospitals and... Yeah, what, what, one of the things that Minister Harris is considering is having exclusion zones around hospitals and clinics so women who are going in there don't face images of fetuses and, and so on. Um, we just want to make sure that that doesn't, doesn't stifle legitimate protest, um, not by pro-life campaigners, but other protests, you know, like pickets, for example, or strikes or so on. Yeah, the right of people to shout up questions and things, but not while I'm interviewing the Taoiseach, because we have very little time. 
And now, I want to list some of the government's initiatives that, that are set to improve the lot of women and girls in Ireland. Tisha, maybe you want to do it for me, but the, your National Strategy for Women and Girls, which was launched in May last year. Do you want to talk a bit yeah, about well, that? We're, we're trying to do about six things this year, which I think will make, make a big difference for women and girls. One is, one is a referendum, obviously. Uh, the other is passing the Domestic Violence Act. And of course, men can be victims of domestic violence as well, but uh, that was important because it puts in a whole new offence of, of coercive control, uh, which is a way that abusive partners can control their partner, and, and that's, that's done. Um, two big initiatives coming up is one around equal pay, uh, requiring major employers to produce, to publish the number or publish their numbers around the gender gap uh, so we can identify which employers uh, stand out in terms of paying women this less than men. This is really exciting because um, it's going to complete a wage survey periodically and report the results in companies that employ 50 or more employees. Yeah, 250 or more initially and, and then 50 after that. So there'll be a league table essentially of employers and it's um, about transparency and those who stand out in terms of having a big pay gap. I would expect the women working in those places will want to raise questions and have their pay uh, readjusted upwards and others too. Um, and then another, another one is around uh, participation on, on company boards. Um, we're doing okay from the public sector side. 52% uh, of people appointed to state boards last year were women. So for the first time, the majority of appointments to state boards went to women. Um, and we'll reach the point, not there yet, where we will have gender balance, I think, uh, on state boards. But company boards are still very male-dominated. Mm -hmm. uh, the business sector, uh, the banks, you know. Uh, and that, doesn't, that leads to poor decision-making, I think. Sure. Uh, we would have had better decision-making, I think, around the banking crisis. Had and there been we more also women have on those another boards. referendum coming up. Yeah, two. Uh, one on blasphemy, um, probably in October. Uh, and the other is on uh, the, the place of women in the home. Uh, this, this rather old-fashioned article from, from in the Constitution which talks about women's domestic duties in the home. There's um, still a lot of that going of on. <laughs> yeah. A lot of us can tell you, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Not sure we should have a Constitution, though, that yes. describes the role of women as having duties in the home. If you could kind so. of make it obligatory for it to be 50-50 uh, in the Constitution, would that work? Well, yeah, what, what would the enforceability mechanism be, though? That would be fun. <laughs> well, it would be fun. It would, it would. Um, so, anyway, we we're going to move on to women's representation in politics. Mm. Um, it's 22%. Is yeah. that kind of scandalous, or do you think we're on the, that we're making a lot of progress? No, it's bad. It's, it's in a, with a population that's roughly 50-50, 22 is far too low. Um, I, I don't like to make a party political point, but there are, of course, more women TDs in, in Fine Gael than any other party, but we do have more TDs, I suppose, so you'd expect that. Um, we brought in the, the candidate quotas. So 30% of candidates have to be women now from the political parties or you lose state funding. So in the last election, for the first time, 30% of women were candidates. 22 got elected. So we're going to increase that up to 40. Uh, but the main thing for me now is to make sure that we don't just have female candidates next time out that we get a critical mass elected. Uh, and we're putting, and I know the other parties are too, are putting you know, really strong and extra financial supports around women to encourage them to run and, and get elected because um, it should be 50-50, not 22-78. Not, not what do you think women have to bring to the table? Um, well, 
they bring everything, everything that men bring, which is you know, their ability, their intelligence, their experience, and all the rest of it. Um, but I do think that women, women think differently. Uh, and for me as Taoiseach, having uh, you know, female ministers, having women as advisors as part of my team, they do, I, I don't know how to describe this right, but uh, you know, men and women, men and women are, are, are equal, but not necessarily the same. And women do bring a different perspective and a different type of decision-making and a different thought. And I know for me, having female ministers, and I need more of them, having female ministers around the table when decisions are made definitely leads to a better decision making. I think that's true of diversity in general, having people from different backgrounds and different experiences. Um, but when you're talking half the population, it's even more imperative, I think. Okay, I think the Taoiseach sounds as though he has come a bit of a journey anyway. Taoiseach, no, we very much you. appreciate it. Thank you. The Women's Podcast has been covering this issue since its inception, and we are deeply grateful to everyone in politics, including yourself, Taoiseach, and sterling people such as Catherine Noon, Claire Daly, Senator Lynn Ruan, Kate O'Connell, Breed Smith, Simon Harris, and Mike Michael Martin, Michal Martin, who contributed to Yes. Um, thank you so much, Taoiseach, for joining us today. Now, back to our panel, Alva Smith, Together for Yes, Anna Cosgrove of The Repeal Project, Claudia Haro of Migrant and Ethnicities for Reproductive Justice. Um, thank you all so much again for your part in the Yes Landslide, which was a stunning grassroots women's movement with, of course, lots of men helping alongside them. Now, the title of our podcast is The People Have Spoken, which was actually decided before the referendum and was done with a little bit of fear and trembling in our studio, I can tell you. Um, and at 66.4% of people, lest we forget, said the Eighth Amendment should be removed from the Constitution and that women should have the right to choose. <laughs> Alva, you worked on this literally for decades. <laughs> have you come down off the yes cloud yet? Well, I, I really, I don't think I'll ever come down off the yes cloud. It's such a great place to be. Why would you ever want to be anywhere else? I, I mean, I think, um, of course, I wake up sometimes in the mornings and I still have to pinch myself because unlike the Irish Times women's podcast, we didn't necessarily think we were going to, to win. We certainly didn't think we were going to win by such an incredible margin. And I think that that's what is the really incredible dimension of all of this, that the people didn't just speak, they, they shouted, and as in fact Orla O'Connor, one of my sister co-directors put it, they absolutely roared that they wanted yes, that this should never have been there in the first place and that it absolutely needed to go. But, and listening to the Taoiseach um, was certainly instructive, it is hugely clear that while this opens up the way for work that has to be done, there is massive work to be done in this country to achieve equality. Equality for all women right across the board and for all women and men right across the board. So my sense of great relief for women and women who need abortion, but also relief that we can move on. So many of us have been tied up in this for so long that we can move on to really to tackle really profound economic 
and social injustice. Thank you, Alva. Whoa. Now, going back to repeal for a moment with Anna Cosgill, from what I think is instantly recognisable to everybody here as the woman who designed their repeal jumpers. They became such an iconic visual, not just in the campaign, but in the years and months leading up to it. Just tell us, remind us a little bit, Anna, about, about the, the, the concept of the repeal. Um, I think I'd, I would have shared that shock and horror um, that most women felt when if they were at the vigil uh, for Savita and I was one of those women and I sat with that shock and horror for quite a while until I finally just wanted to contribute somehow or articulate my overwhelming anger and that was just my way. I wanted to help visualize and humanize the kind of people that Alva had been working on for decades and decades and just make it, you know, this everyday issue that affects everyday people. And I just thought it would be an easy way just to give people an inlet into that political activism that had been worked on for so, so long and just bring it out into the open. Did you ever think for a moment that your jumper, repeal jumper, would be worn on so many bodies? Um, and, how, and, and how amazing, the amazing effect it had on people. You know, I remember in, you know, being in the city, say for example, early in the mornings and seeing young women going around with repeal jumpers and thinking, who would have thought this even three years ago? I don't know. I know every political movement has merchandise and every political party has kind of, you know, signage. Um, I didn't imagine it would become a, a symbol, but I know from the first day from the pop-up, um, for the women who came in who had travelled and said it made them felt supported, that's what meant something to me. And if it helped those women, then I feel, yeah, it, it did okay then for, the, for those women who had kind of been shrouded in so much silence and secrecy and dogma. And I'm glad that Leo brought up that kind of uncomfortableness, you know, that women had felt, because I think that's so true, that utter alienation uh, that they'd felt so lonely. So I think it was a way just for people, without having to speak to anyone, just to have that symbol of solidarity in the airport or, you know, in your workplace. It was kind of a, a silent nod of, you know, I'm with you. And it certainly worked. Now, Claudia Haro, we are delighted to have you here. Thank you. With your beautiful baby. Um, you. And as we know, some of the most vulnerable women who are affected by the Eighth Amendment have come here from other countries and couldn't travel for Absolutely. an abortion. So yep. what's been the response from members of your organization to the S vote? Um, relief, delight. We are absolutely, I mean, we, we're ecstatic. We're, we're aware that the hard work probably starts now. And there's a lot of work to do to make sure that the legislation is inclusive, that it continues to be inclusive, that it continues to put not just Irish women, because I needed or we needed to have to remind people of this quite a lot. This wasn't an issue about Irish women. This was an issue about all women in Ireland. Uh, because we're all living here, we're all home here, we're all raising our kids here. Um, <laughs> And, and, and it's as important to us. Yes, and you were saying earlier, Claudia, that actually your particular ethnic, the, the ethnic communities that you, whom you represented so ably, it all began with one woman in particular. Absolutely. I mean, you only have to look at the most high-profile cases in recent history. I mean, the, 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 the face 
that started all of this off, uh, the recent campaign, is a brown face. It's Savita's face. And yet, here was majority of migrant women in Ireland not feeling represented um, in general in the campaign. So really, starting Merge, Migrant and Ethnic Minority Women for Reproductive Justice, was just our response to that. We wanted to have a seat at the table. We wanted to be working side by side with Alva, with so many other women that have been campaigning for so long because we felt that the issues affected us in some ways disproportionately. But we, but we, we, wanted, we wanted to be shoulder to shoulder with, our, with, with all women in Ireland. Claudia, you were talking about numbers. Yes. Um, one of the things... Um, I was really nervous, right? Well, I kind of knew in my heart that we would win, but I was really, really nervous the last few weeks. Um, mainly because I was so aware that the migrant vote was 120,000 strong. That's three times the size of the home-to-vote crowd. And I was just so nervous that the mi migrant women in Ireland or the migrant population in general had been, had been an afterthought a little bit, if I'm honest, and had been sidelined a little bit. And effectively, we had sidelined 120,000 people who were able to vote, who could have turned things. And so that made me really nervous, to be honest. Alva, what have you to say to that? Well, I mean, I absolutely, I think Claudia is absolutely right. It was, that was very, very distressing. I also want to say, you know, that the general point um, is that there are very many specific groups of women in this country whose uh, needs will have to be particularly attended to. In other words, we'll have to pay very special and close attention. And I do think that the rights of the needs of migrant women, and I'm thinking particularly at the moment of women in direct provision, for example, who um, don't necessarily get to be featured in the legislation. So questions of access are very important for those women. They're also really important for women who have disabilities, whose general access to reproductive rights, reproductive health is very poor. Um, and in fact, to health services generally is very poor. And the, there, there are a number of other groups, but I want particularly to say something about uh, women who are homeless, because uh, women who are homeless, who are raising families, um, who don't have good access to health services either. You know that now that we have in a way achieved this for all women, it is really important for us to start talking about particular women and to make sure that every particular woman and every woman is particular really does have what she needs to live her life with equality, with dignity, and with, you know, just bloody good access to health services, really. You know, that's all. It's not an awful lot. No. So, Anna, this was about a lot more than abortion, wasn't it? I think so. I think it was a very kind of systematic recognition that across Ireland, as Michael D. Higgins just said uh, a few weeks ago at the unveiling of a suffragette plaque, that women in Ireland had been eschewed from history, that their stories and their needs and wants essentially had been silenced for so long. And just as Alva was saying and, and Claudia about how much work has to be done, that really it, it was a sort of cathartic sigh for so many women across Ireland that finally that the, there was a recognition of a fundamental right which we should have already been afforded as it was something that was just so, so basic. And now we have to look at questions around 
around housing, around access to education. And when I listen to Leo Varadkar around politics, you know, there's been 1,294 people, you know, elected to the Dáil and only 114 have been women. And we need women at the table to make those decisions, to make better public policy for those that are the most disproportionately affected. So I want to see, you know, women like Claudia uh, in government. I want to see women like Eileen Flynn, who's an amazing traveler rights activist. We need that intersectional approach to how we kind of govern our country, because otherwise those whose needs really need to be met don't get, don't get that look in. And when we talk about the journey that Leo has been on, I think that there are people all across Ireland that have brought, been brought on a journey and they're now looking at social issues and they're kind of looking inside themselves and thinking about thinking about things and about prayer and kind of about action and change and how to make things happen. Can I just say that, you know, this thing about the journey, I have to tell you, and I don't think I've said it in public before, I actually got to hate this word journey. I did not want people to go on a journey. I wanted them to be there and I wanted them to stop and just simply take the time. Of in fairness, it's a bit of an evolution no, no, though for some people, isn't no, it? No, it's about, it's about people opening up their minds and opening their eyes and looking around at the reality. I mean, this is just my you know, personal little beef with the word journey. I'm terribly sorry if it offends anybody, but actually um, it, it really is just about people waking up looking up and seeing that gender makes a difference in women's lives. It's good for men, it's really not so great for women. Ethnicity makes a difference in people's lives. Whether you have a disability or not, sexuality still makes a difference in your life. I know, I tell you. So, you know, it's about people actually looking at what those intersectionalities are actually doing. I did want to say, by the way, to Leo, um, just there, but I was too polite to interrupt you, Cathy, or indeed to interrupt the Taoiseach. He did speak about the quiet revolution. Did anybody else kind of feel a little something or another about that? And I just wanted to say to him, excuse me, it's not going to be quiet anymore. It's going to be so loud. Oh boy, oh girl, oh wow. And I just, no, I'm sorry, Cathy, I just, I know you want to finish. I know you want me to stop. But I just do want to say this. What? <laughs> no, no, but, but you did say something about the summer school bit at the beginning, you know? And I do actually think that that whole McGill summer school episode has actually, the reason why we, there was an immediate outcry is precisely because we're not going to keep quiet about stuff like that anymore. And my personal proposal is that we don't boycott it or girl cottage or whatever it is you do with, with, you know, a thing like that. That we should, every single woman in Ireland should be given 200 euro to go up to the McGill Summer School this year and we just simply do a total takeover bid. That's what I think. That'll show them. 200 euro. That's all. Well, it's very modest. Now, Anna... We're talking about now about this, this, this quiet movement and everything, but is there uh, a possibility that, that, that the organisers and people like ourselves indeed underestimated how far people had moved on on the whole issue of abortion? Or did in, what, it require, in what sense? Well, people were so gobsmacked by the size of the landslide. Um, 
did we underestimate the progress people had made, the, the journey people had made in their heads? Or um, was all that hard work done in the last few months, and in Alva's case, the last 40 years, was it that, in the end, that, that, that turned it around? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. I think that the narrative had been held by such an extreme few that the overwhelming majority of opinion around an issue like this could never really rise to the surface. And similarly with all of the stories. So yeah, the groundwork for decades had suddenly kind of come to the fore. And I think the facilitation of the Together for Yes campaign proved that when you approach things in like a logical, kind and compassionate way, that it really speaks to people. And I think nothing can negate the lived experience of women. And just seeing those women, you know, put their personal stories out into the public uh, is something that just utterly changed people's minds because the only time or the only instance that they would have heard the word abortion might have been in mass, it might have been in class, or it would have been through this one dominant narrative. So I think, yeah, I think we were made feel that we were asking for something that was too radical and too much because we've been made feel so fearful of kind of our own voices and our own wants that... Um, I watched uh, Ronan Mullen uh, kind of react to Saoirse, uh, a girl who had uh, just shared her story on live TV and it was extremely hard to watch because he said, Saoirse, I'm hearing you. And then he moved on and talked about another woman, completely denying her experience. And that to me was what had happened for years and years, that her experiences had been denied and pushed under. So I think them coming to the forefront just dramatically opened people's eyes. And they did what Alva said. I kind of, yeah, the word journey, it's just actually been given facts and just been given a chance to look at someone, you know, look at someone's story and listen to it. I think it's so transformative. In, in the communities you represented, and we're not going to say it was one community, it's, 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 as, it's as diverse as the entire population of this country, some of them would be extremely religious, some of them would be absolute flat no's, you would have had definite yeses, but there would have been division. Did you sense a change in those communities as it came closer to the referendum, or did you, were you always confident that it would work? No, we weren't confident at all. In fact, we were, we were taking a beating on the streets when we were campaigning. You know, we were hearing people say to us that they had been engaged for several months, particularly through their churches. And, you know, here was us swanning in a couple of weeks before the vote to talk to them about how, it, how the Eighth Amendment affects them. They knew, but they had been, they had been engaged long before we came along. So... Um, so we weren't confident at all, actually. We were quite nervous. But, you know, but we also had um, and continue to have a, a very active social media presence and we are engaged on the daily by several numbers, huge numbers of migrant women and men, the migrant community, um, wanting, you know, wanting, to, wanting to stay engaged, wanting to know what next, wanting to know how they can get more involved. So that's been great. That's been encouraging. And that kind of also goes against this narrative that um, you know, migrant people haven't been as interested or you know, they've kind of just been sitting back and watching um, and not wanting to, to, to have a place it's absolutely not true. I mean, we started off with uh, two people in my kitchen, and in a couple of weeks there were 70 of us, and, and there's, it's just, we're just growing. There's so many of us now, and everybody's really active. 
It's fantastic. Alva, I feel a bit of a, a, a cringe, Martian. That's very true, actually. And I know that Merge is growing and has an agenda now, which is a really important one. And in a sense, I think the referendum also gave that kind of extra boost, in yeah. a sense. Yeah, and it also just gave different migrant women a platform because yeah. I think for a long time um, I mean as you said at the start of this the migrant population is as diverse as this country is so you know but for a long time there have been just you know f few, uh, small numbers of individuals or organizations um, out there doing work or representing migrant women but the reality is I mean we're so diverse it's, it's not possible to represent all migrant people with one organization or with a handful of people so this platform has been fantastic with people that have that are really active now that have haven't been active before because they haven't felt represented before which and is also, one of the sorry. most exciting things about this isn't it Alva yeah, that, yeah. that it really has mobilized young women yes I well I think I think young women young men young people generally did become much more politically engaged for the marriage equality referendum they were immediately involved in that and interested and I think that this is particularly true now when two years later we have another uh, referendum on a major topic and of course young people were incredibly active and committed and I've never seen people work as passionately with such dedication uh, over really quite a long period of time. It was a very, very long campaign. And anybody who in any way attempts to say that young people in this country are not incredibly engaged is completely bats. They're just talking out of their hats somewhere. Not only engaged, but also really competent and um, very clear about what kind of country this should be. No, we don't all have the same politics. We don't all have the same points of view. But we do now know that we need, there is a major equality problem. And I mean, I was going to say there that I think um, what Claudia is saying about, you know, migrant people being just as diverse a population as people who were born here, that is really important because one of the things that the referendum did, I think, was precisely to enable a much more radical migrant group like Merge to actually emerge, to, to be there and to say, um, you know, that, that of course there are political differences, but fundamentally young people and for me, you know, young people starts at anybody under 50, I don't know, but I'll go lower if you like, okay? But, uh, you know, the, there, is, there is the possibility, we do have an opportunity of making this into the kind of country where you feel that people are not going to be left homeless, where women are not going to be denied basic services, are not going to have information withheld from them about their, their treatment and about their tests, are, and so on and so forth. And that I think that there is that impetus now really to make those uh, changes. And to do so, I think, in more of, um, with more of an understanding of also the differences that there are between us. Because one of the most striking things about campaigning for repeal was the fact that people did campaign across differences and not least across very big political divides. You know, somebody said to me the other day, I'm still kind of 
patting myself to think that here am I, a radical socialist, and I was best pals during the canvassing campaign with somebody from Fine Gael, as if this was kind of amazing. And that was very true, that people did come across those deep political divides to actually fight for something that really mattered um, to everybody. And I think that's a great thing for the future. Don't you? I certainly do. Yeah. And uh, I also want to sort of emphasise the fact that nine, there was a 92% increase in female votes between the ages of 18 and 24. So that's a really yes. strong yeah. harbinger and hope for the yes. future. Um, we could take can over I the world. Can I just ask you, Alan, at risk of, sort of you, you sort of punching me. Um, now, this, this, this has been said to me. This is not me that perhaps the landslide could have been even greater if you had concentrated more on the ordinary, everyday abortions I love and this less question. on the hard cases? Oh, my God. You know, during the campaign, this was a campaign, by the way, which did not begin, as uh, certainly Claudia and, and Anna well know, it didn't begin in March when it was launched. You know, we set this whole thing up going way back to after the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act, that awful law, which did absolutely nothing at all for women. And we did start to organize then. That was when the big organizations came together, the small organizations and so on and so forth, um, to form the, the coalition to repeal the Eighth Amendment. And that was you know, where we started all of that strategic work of learning how to work together. But all, you know, during, after, during the actual referendum campaign, it was said several times by, oh, I don't know, political commentators is probably the best way to describe them, that it was a weak campaign, that it was disorganized, that there was no leadership. And, you know, we're standing there and we're saying, they're not seeing us. They're not seeing the fact that this is actually a big campaign. I, well, it, that it wasn't unified, I don't know. It was saying all of these things. It was the bit about it being weak and disorganized and without leaders that really, really got to me. Because here we had really thousands and thousands of people at this stage canvassing all over the country. I mean, what, what were they looking for? And the reason they didn't see leadership in the campaign why do you think that was it's because it was a women-led campaign that's why and they still did not see women as leaders right you know and everywhere i look across all the organizations and the groups where women were out there to the forefront pushing and pulling the men along sometimes i mean a lot of the men came along willingly okay but they, a bit like, you know, a bit like the Taoiseach was describing and full marks to him for saying it. It was his mom who convinced him. It was his sisters. It was Francis Fitz in, in, in cabinet. He was, you know, it was women who were taking the lead on this and keeping firm hand on the reins throughout, by the way. And to, to have it called sort of weak and disorganized was appalling. And then as soon as we win, we, could you not have done better? Could you not have won more? You know, could it not have been a bigger... A, and I'm looking at certain people in particular for this. You know, really, what does it take? This was the highest majority win in any referendum campaign in Ireland since the referendum on the 1937 Constitution. Right. 
Okay, what do they need? What do they want from us? They've had our blood, they've had our guts. What more do they want? They're not getting any more. We are now actually going to have a loud revolution. Anna, one last word about the campaign and how it, it, um, how it was run at the grassroots. I mean, I know one y young group of people went out canvassing night, noon and morning. And I remember they were heading for a town in the Midwest and they were told about a safe house where they could pick up the election literature. So there was real courage involved there, wasn't there? Absolutely. Like, I think courage from, is this on, from all corners of Ireland and... I don't know, even just the crowd, the public crowdfunder, if you read some of those testimonials, there was someone who gave a euro because they were on social welfare. There's a woman who gave five euro for all the fallen women from the Magdalene laundries. There was a pilot who gave 12 euro for the 12 women that traveled every day that he thought about when he was flying his plane. And I think as well, on the courage, like the absolute sort of unrelenting energy and endurance that Irish women have had to sort of withstand throughout this campaign by constantly really being moralized and victimized and you know I actually just am so in awe of all the women I've met throughout this campaign because the absolute humility and perseverance and the kindness how Alva I'm sorry she was 73 just after the referendum no, 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 no 72, 72. 72. <laughs> with a bad back and just just to still be leading leading from the heart and that's what the campaign was about and that actually takes courage to not lose your cool and not just to kind of you know absolutely go insane in the face of adversity so I think that that's courage to be kind just to be fair and to look Kindness. outside Fairness. of yourself Claudia yes you don't look like they are fabulous yeah. <laughs> Claudia yeah. over 72 Anna, Anna, Anna mentioned earlier that you might actually go into politics. Is there a, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking ahead now to see where all this fantastic woman power is headed. Will well, you do it? Listen. <laughs> go for it. Ireland has had a history, unfortunately, of women going unseen. Right? Magdalene laundries, the, the mother and baby homes direct provision. People have been going unseen for a long time, but guess what? We're back to claim our space. We're claiming our space. We're claiming all that lost time. We're not going anywhere. We're here. And who's, who's to know? I don't know. Oh, she's You'd not saying great. no. I'm not saying no. She'd be great in yeah. Doyle. <laughs> but actually, that's a very good point. The other thing is that, you know, the community cuts the 33 and whatever it was, the third, um, one third of com community funding was cut in the years of so-called austerity, which were still austerity. They didn't just stop because those community cuts have never been replenished. They've never been paid back. And basically that was the money that enabled women in particular actually to go back and do some education, some training, uh, all of the kinds of things that really you need to be able to go into politics. You need that, and you need time. You need the space. You need the, 
the background skills or maybe the upfront skills, I don't know. I mean, I just feel really strongly about that at the moment, that we talk a lot about more women in politics, but we need to spread that net really far. And I see Lynn Rowan here now, and I'm sure that Lynn would be absolutely agreeing with that, that that's so important. It is about not just leaving politics to the middle classes, or to, you know, I, I, we really need to think about that when we're thinking about where women go in politics and what women, it needs to be all women. Anna, you're a young woman. Where, might you go into politics? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, might, might, yeah. Yeah, I, I got to work alongside Lynn Ruan a little bit for the last two years and it certainly radicalised my view of Irish politics and the type of people I want to help get into politics. But on the might, yeah, I might. <laughs> and actually, just while we're talking about that, old women might go into politics as well and then, then what would happen? You guys then there might be really party. something might happen. Alva, my very next question. No, I didn't Where are you going? <laughs> Well, at the moment, I am... <laughs> just resting at present. But can I just say something on that? I was looking at that image of Mary Robinson when she was elected as president, and it is just the sea of men and the cacophony of the male voice. And it's so exciting that we're going to live through, you know, the first female Taoiseach being elected, and that image you know, isn't going to be, there are, you know, as you were saying, 22% from 16, that it's ever increasing. And that's such an amazing time to live through. And I just cannot wait until there is a woman, the right woman leading Ireland. And there are brilliant women in Doyle Aaron now. So, there you know, are. there's every possibility. They are, and we've mentioned some of them earlier. Claudia, are you optimistic now? Do you feel we're actually on the, the, the right road? There's energy, there's passion. Do you think we're going to take this somewhere now? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think there's so much potential. There's so much... Um, there's, there's a real hunger for it, and it's not going anywhere. It's just getting stronger, and I think people are hugely motivated by by the yes vote and passing, and also by, by the kind of leadership and courage and leadership that we have right now. So I think, yes, absolutely. Alva, last question to you. Do you have a personal goal at this stage? You put so much energy into all of this. Well, I, I think we all did. I mean, it, it was really, I think, in so many ways, a huge achievement and a real turning point for this country. The past few years in particular, I think, have, have led us somewhere which is full of possibility. I don't honestly see the map clearly drawn out ahead. Personally, I kind of feel I need a little bit of time to think through the implications. What does this mean for a country when it suddenly turns right over and does something very unexpected, very different, not written in our DNA or our history at all? And I think we do need to keep that sense of possibility and openness, but I also think we need to think about it um, very carefully and that's, I think, what I'm going to be doing over the next few months at any rate. But, you know, I mean, just because you're 72 doesn't mean, even though I know it's all about young people and everything, but doesn't mean that your life stops or that you stop doing things. Um, and I do have other goals to set for myself uh, now. We are going to have to spend a little bit of time 
um, you know, getting women in the home removed from the constitution back into normal life, as it were. And I think we will just have to give a little bit of time and thought to how we do that uh, in the autumn. But there's plenty of possibilities ahead for all of us. And I just want to say finally, you know, it really has been an incredible, um, I get quite, I get emotional sometimes. <laughs> it has really been a, a privilege to work with so many extraordinary people over a long period of time, and particularly over the past few years. And I'm looking at Anna and Claudia here, and many other faces I see here now. And I personally have learned an enormous, an enormous amount without going on a journey. It was all just by working with people. So, Alva Smith, <laughs> you have. You've been a wonderful, engaged audience, including the people who spoke a bit out of turn, but I forgive you. Um, that's all we have time for. I hope you enjoy that conversation. Thanks to Alva Smith. Anna Cosgrave. Claudia Harrow and her baby. Thank you for joining us. And to the Taoiseach Leverad for talking to us earlier. We're going to have another song from Pow Pig and just don't go away. The Irish Times is very engaged on this stage for the rest of the afternoon. And I was going to say it gets better and better, but I don't think it can. Thank you very much indeed.
Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.